We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there. We at Blue Wire wanted to thank you for your continued support of this podcast. With over 90 podcasts across our network, we are committed to bringing you great content to fill that sport-shaped hole in your heart. To find more Blue Wire pods, search for us on iTunes or check out bluewirepods.com. And remember, one day sports will return and it will be glorious. Thanks for listening. On to the show. Blue Wire. New England sending QB Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy. Garoppolo, quick pass, caught by Kittle. He dives, and he's in. Touchdown, 49ers. Kittle is going to go. Touchdown. What up, Striking Gold listeners? Welcome to the podcast. I'm Kevin Jones. With us tonight is Nick Wagner. We're going to get into a discussion about the NFL draft, Trent Williams, Joe Staley, a lot of dominoes fall. There's an ambulance going on right now in the background. You know, we're, we're still in the middle of this pandemic. Um, absolutely nuts time. We're going to cover it all. Nick, what's going on, man? Not much. Uh, I hope that ambulance isn't coming for you, man. I, uh, that's, uh, so at the round these times, this is a, something you got to be worried about. It seems like every time you hear that. That's tough, man. We're in war right now. We're at war in this country. You know, we're going to, there's two kind of ways the podcasts have been approaching the virus, either talking a lot about it or being an escape. And we're going to, you know, striking gold right now is an escape from real life. So we are going to just dive right into the 49ers, but hope you and your family and your loved ones are safe and sound. Um, you know, if, if you're looking for a job, you know, thinking of you, it's, it's just really unprecedented times. And, Good news for the Niners right now is I think they're actually coming away from the NFL draft, Nick, you know, that whole three day weekend in 
a better spot, at least financially. They're going to have some rookies that have to prove some things, but they're adding Trent Williams as well too. I'm, I'm pumped to kind of break down the big picture here of everything. Um, Nick, if you, if you don't know, has been at ESPN.com for five years. No, no, for covering the Niners for five. And then overall, what, 15? Since 2013, I've been at ESPN and this will, this coming season will be my fifth season on the 49ers. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And Nick's just been covering the NFL for like 15 seasons, the Rams before this, we got mixed up covering Chip Kelly. Jeez, that was a long time ago. And now. (laughs) Kyle Shanahan heading into his fourth season, the Super Bowl. Um, no one saw it coming that quickly. Uh, excited to unpack this all. I, I want to start with Trent Williams, to be honest, Nick, because I think that's the biggest story right now around the team, kind of replacing Joe Staley uh, pretty swiftly in, in a move where they don't have to give up much draft capital and they're not extending Trent Williams right away. I'm a pretty big fan of the move. Um your, your initial thoughts, and then how has it been on these Zoom conferences with Kyle and John Lynch and just getting their perspective in this new world? <laughs> yeah, I mean, first of all, the, the Trent Williams move, I mean, let, let's be honest. Like, if you're looking to replace a franchise legend, which Joe Staley is, and, and you know, I'm sure people are going to, you know, evaluate his merits as a potential pro football Hall of Famer, uh, replacing him with a guy like Trent Williams is about as well as you're going to do, uh, especially Trent Williams still pretty much in his prime, you know, maybe – toward the to the back end of his prime but still young enough that you got to think there's some good football in front of him and uh even with the with the time off you know there's probably going to be some rust there and it's been a long time it's been over 400 days since he last played in an NFL football game but uh you know he seems pretty confident that it's going to help him uh he's going to have fresh legs and all that and I think the Niners are are believers in that too so whatever rust he does have to get knocked off it'll come off pretty quick and then he should be able to get back to to his level and just given what the options were there wasn't a better option and you know there are four real high highly rated tackles in that draft but all of them were a roll of the dice particularly if you're going to put them at left tackle and so I think the Niners have to feel like that was as good an upgrade uh or not I shouldn't say an upgrade I think some people might argue that uh you know we'll have to kind of wait and see but as good as they were going to do in terms of trying to replace a guy like Joe Staley who is what irreplaceable so uh, I think overall that's kind of how they have to feel about this and when you look at the different positions that they had to find replacements that was the one spot where I think they got the guy that you feel the, the best about right now he can not only in the run game like get out and about downfield but just as a pass blocker too just knowing that he's going to go up against some of the best pass rushers in the league in the NFC West and be able to be that anchor. I, I really believe it's more of a two to three year solution. Again, I like I, I'm not betting Trent Williams to play late into his 30s here. And sure, you know, they may have to give him some five year contract on paper. But as we know, the 49ers have structured contracts in the past. How do you think that situation will play out? You Is- know, yeah, it's it's interesting, Kevin, because I think if you the, there's such a huge unknown right now, and that unknown is the salary cap for next year. I think if if you look at it from what we thought we knew in January, say or February, everyone expected there to be this big jump in the salary cap next year and the year after that, particularly as the new TV TV deal gets done. But if teams, let's say that this pandemic means that they can't play football in front of fans this fall which I think is a realistic possibility, certainly not at full capacity anyway, then that is a huge chunk of revenue. And revenue drives what the salary cap is. And so if they don't get as big a jump as they were expecting in the salary cap, they're going to find themselves in a position very similar to this year where they're having to make some really tough decisions. And I think they were going to have to make those tough decisions anyway. 
because if you look at the group of free agents that they have coming, there's some really tough calls that you're going to have to make within that. But Trent Williams is a guy that you would think if he plays at a really high level would be a high priority to keep. However, if he does that and he becomes a guy that's going to cost, you know, 18, 19, $20 million a year. I mean, Laramie Tunsil just got $22 million a year. He's much younger. I think he's a little bit of an outlier because of what Houston had to give up to get him. But even if you want Trent Williams and he's going to be somewhere in that ballpark, you might have to start making some trade-offs because George Kittle's going to be expensive. You're going to have Fred Warner the following year who's going to be expensive. You're going to have Nick Bosa within a few years who's going to be very expensive. So then you start looking at all those trade-offs, and if that cap doesn't spike the way people thought it was going to, you're going to find yourself having to really, really make some tough calls, kind of like the DeForest Buckner one was. Well, it's not because I saw the Dolphins come out with the plan today that you know September, if there's football and their stadium, there's going to be 15,000 fans allowed inside the stadium, and it's going to be row by row exits. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there it's it's really every fan's going to have a face mask. So that's the really big unknown right now in the NFL. I don't think they're going to like the NFL is going to be fair here. I don't think they're going to like really like. Uh, scare teams I, I i don't know what exactly can be done um but i you know the league's gonna have to make a decision on this at some point um before the league's season starts so i everything's up in the air but right now the 49ers gotta feel good about trent williams um you know first round of the draft nick they took uh, javon kinlaw who's gonna step in for deforest buckner um is it's going to be more of a rotation there. Obviously you're going to get some solid T you're going to get some DJ Jones there. Do you think the D line feels the same next year with the force without the force Buckner? No, um, no, I don't. I mean, I, I don't know how you can. And that's, you know, that's not to knock what they did. I mean, look, I personally was, was surprised that they traded to force Buckner. I think a lot of people were, I also understand their thinking behind it because at some point you have to get to, your point where you just can no longer swallow what the price is. And I think once they got above that $20 million per year mark, that was going to be more than the 49ers were willing to pay. And I think that a lot of, isn't, isn't anything against DeForest Buckner other than what position he plays. I mean, he's a defensive tackle and that's not to say defensive tackles aren't valuable, but if you're not Aaron Donald paying over $20 million a year for a three technique defensive tackle is something a lot of teams aren't going to do. And in fact, the Colts are only, the second one to do it, I believe, uh, after what the Rams did with Aaron Donald. So I think the Niners are, are in a position where currently right now, as their group is constructed, they're not as good as they were last year. I think they know that. But I also think that what they believe they did was they put themselves in a position to be as good or potentially better moving forward in 2021, 2022, and then hoping that Kinlaw comes around enough. And like you said, they get enough contributions from the other guys that it helps offset that a little bit and ensures that the defensive line is still a strength, even if it's not, if it's not quite as dominant as it was. Yeah, listen, I mean, just picture this scenario. If Nick Bosa and Richard Sherman are hurt at the same time next year, this defense all of a sudden <laughs> looks like it could be vulnerable. Um, you know, they had injuries last year, obviously, to Quan Alexander, but their key pieces were, for the most part, pretty healthy. Buckner, Armstead. Um, you know, the defense did battle definitely some injuries for sure. But, uh, you know, they, they seem a little thin at secondary still. They didn't really address that. To me, that says Emmanuel Mosley's the guy. He's he's starting at corner. And maybe there's a competition. But I, to me, there's really not. Like, Mosley should be the guy going forward. Yeah, I mean, to to me, I think Mosley definitely is the guy that you give the first the, the first opportunity. I mean, he he's the one, you know, obviously that, that deep play 
uh, that the Chiefs converted in the Super Bowl. People will say it was Jimmy Ward's fault. People say it was Emmanuel Mosley. Whatever the case, like, it doesn't matter. It was a great play by Patrick Mahomes. It was nearly a sack and, and all that. But I think Mosley's the guy who proved that, at least in the big stage in the playoffs, that the moment wasn't too big for him. And as of right now, that's what you want. Now, the flip side of that is is they don't have to declare him the starter. They can let, you know, Akello Witherspoon go out there and compete with him and say, hey, Akello, you know, this is a contract year for year. This is a big opportunity. And maybe he kind of rediscovers what it was that he had found early in the early part of last season. So, uh, you know, I don't think they're in a rush to declare anyone a starter at that position, but I, I, I would agree with you that, uh, I think they're probably more confident in Mosley, particularly because he was the guy who played the best when the stakes were the highest. Rewinding real quick, I like what you said just about Kim Ma and them betting on 2021, 2022. They really showed us they, they're willing to trade draft capital for anything. Trent Williams, D4, Jimmy G. Like they really are – Emmanuel Sanders, they unload mid-round picks like it is no freaking problem. I'm curious your take on that. There are certain teams who really value these third and fourth round picks. It feels like the 49ers have said, listen, we value current players in the league a lot more than, um, you know, guesses in the third and fourth round here. Uh, you know, that's, yeah. it, it, it's, it's either or, to be honest, you can build teams either way. But I'm just curious how you think of being around a ton of different GMs covering the Rams and, you know, earlier regimes of the 49ers, what you think of this approach? Yeah, I think it's interesting because I think that I don't necessarily know that that was an overarching philosophy of theirs. I think it's something that came about almost by necessity. And what I mean by that is, is when they made the move for D Ford, everyone knew they needed an edge rusher. And of course, at the time they made that move, they knew they had a good chance to get Nick Bosa, but in their mind, it was let's get both of those guys. Let's get the speed guy in Ford and the power guy in Bosa and let's make that our team's strength. So I, I understood it from that re respect. The Emmanuel Sanders move was more unique in the sense of they realized they were in their window and they were going to go for it. And I don't think anyone can fault them for that because everyone yeah. agreed at the time it was a move that needed to be made. They needed a wide receiver that they could count on because even at that point, Debo Samuel for as good as he was toward the end of the year and Kendrick Bourne for as good as he was toward the end of the year, neither one of those guys was performing to that level before Emmanuel Sanders got there. And then when he did, I think he had an impact on them that made them better, but also he gave Jimmy Garoppolo that guy that he could count on, and, and I think that made everybody better. And so they made that move kind of in the vacuum in, in the through the prism of we are in our window and we need to go ahead and make a run at this thing. And now when you look at what they did this offseason, I was surprised, to be honest with you, KJ, that they, that they made the move they did to move up for Ayuk because I just didn't see that as something that they had to do. I felt like there was an opportunity there where they could have stayed there, stayed where, stayed where they were and maybe took a Michael Pittman or someone like that or even moved back again. I think that's what yeah. we expected from 31 to move back again and do that. And the reason I personally thought that that would be the way they go, would go is because if you're looking at this trying to extend the window, which let's be honest, KJ, that is what their goal is right now. How do we extend this window where we can win the Super Bowl for as long as possible? Sustaining success in this league is so hard. And I think that they felt like if if they could go and get the guys at the three positions where they needed replacements and the best guys they could get and Trent Williams, Ayuk, and Kinlaw, that that was going to give them the best bet. To me, I might have leaned the other direction just in the sense of if you look at all the free agents they have that I just mentioned a minute ago coming up after this year, those mid-round picks are the guys that you're going to lean on to be kind of that cheap labor when some of those guys inevitably yeah. leave. Because no matter how much the cap spikes next year, 
there's going to be some guys on they're that. They're not going to have the middle class on the roster. Right. With- a lot of those guys are not going to be able to come back. That's just the reality of the league. No matter how much the cap goes up, you're not going to be able to bring all those guys back. And that's what you're missing out on. That's the trade-off there. I understand the Niners thinking, but that's their, the other way to go there was to move back, accumulate those mid-round picks, and start developing some of that mid-round talent, hoping it can be cost-effective moving forward. I want to explore this Ayuk thing with you too, because I, you know, he wasn't on my radar, and the fact that Kyle said they were considering CD Lamb actually makes me sick, because I, I think CD Lamb is the much better prospect. I actually think Ayuk um, reminded me of Dante Pettis almost a little bit on film, and and Debo a little bit. Um, so Kyle clearly has a type. I agree with you that trading up, um, you know, it, it was a little bit head scratching. Night of, I've talked myself into it, and now kind of looking at the whole scenario of wide receivers, listen to what they mismanaged here. Remember when they gave Marquise Goodwin the extension? Mm -hmm. They were able to kind of get rid of his contract, but obviously Dante Pettis has been a miss. You can't fault them for Pierre Garçon because he he kind of got hurt and he was playing well, but there, there certainly hasn't been a ton of great decisions at wide receiver. Debo looks like the best one right now. Um, Yeah. So if Ayuk does not work out, there's obviously something wrong in how they're evaluating wide receivers. And so it feels like there is pressure. I was reading Mayoko. So I, I guess there's going to be a camp competition. It looks like Ayuk versus Kendrick Bourne. And, you know, Kyle will figure out a way to use everyone, but someone will separate themselves out of those two. Yeah. And I mean, look, I think if you, if you just look at the, the, the route that they chose to take it, it inherently puts a lot of pressure on those two rookies, Kinlaw and Ayuk. It just does. I mean, you're you're basically saying, especially in Kinlaw's case, you're saying we traded DeForest Buckner for the pick that ultimately became you, and you play the same position. That's, I mean, that's a lot of pressure to put on a guy. And and I'm not saying he's not capable of reaching that level, but I think it's it's unfair to him to expect him to do that ever, let alone in his first year. But they're in that situation where. They're trying to balance how do we continue to go for it this year and make ourselves able to continue to go for it year after year in the future. And in Ayuk's case, he was a guy that obviously they liked a lot better than any of us really knew and certainly maybe more than a lot of teams knew. And so I think that was kind of the balancing act that they were trying to strike there. And so, yeah, there's not going to be any shortage of pressure on those guys coming in and having to perform right away. I think the Niners, when they put the work in on them, that was probably something that they really looked into is what's their learning curve, what's their work ethic, and how soon can they contribute because they know that they're going to need them in 2020. It's so funny how quickly that changes. They used to be like, oh, we can take projects like Ruben Foster. We'll figure it out. Now it's you know a couple of years later, like our window is now. We have to find rookies who are going to be able to come in now. Um, good stuff so far with Nick Wagner. We're brought to you by betonline.ag. Uh, there's Texas Hold'em. There's stuff going on during the day. There's a lot of like odds that people are betting on the futures for the NFL now that some new draft picks are on teams. So make sure you check out betonline.ag. Um, yeah, we are almost 17 minutes into this podcast, Nick, and we have not talked about Jimmy Garoppolo. Last season, to me, was going to hinge on Jimmy Garoppolo's ability to come in and make plays. And for the most part, he was damn solid all year. The run game was the difference. The run game for Kyle is going to be just like for Mike Shanahan, just like his dad. He's going to be known for the run game. However, this quarterback 
or his first full season coming off an ACL. I thought it was a damn good season. You can look at any number you want and kind of you know paint a picture, but you watched every game. This dude made a lot of big plays um, and was the engine for a lot of the comebacks, especially that Saints game um, on the road. There was a couple big, big games. And, of course, he made mistakes. And the throw that everyone is going to talk about until he's back on the football field is is the deep play um, you know, late in the Super Bowl. What what's the mood right now with, with Jimmy G? What do you what, what, what do you think, Nick? I'm I'm pro Jimmy G. I think this team can you know return to a Super Bowl next year. Is just really going to be tough. If you look at NFL history, it's going to be freaking really tough next year. But the mm-hmm. next couple, I you know I think he's a good enough quarterback to win the Super Bowl with Kyle Shanahan. Point blank. Yeah, I mean they were incredibly close to doing that this year, and I would argue that them losing the the lo- the lead that they lost in the Super Bowl was not Jimmy Garoppolo's fault. He had his he had a hand in it. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying he he was not good in the fourth quarter. I think we all know that, but who was good in the fourth quarter, especially the last 10 minutes? I don't know that anyone you could point to and say that that guy in particular played very well in the fourth quarter. I think that was a a total team loss. You know, we talk about total team wins sometimes. That was a total team loss in, in the way that that thing went down at the end. And look, I know everyone wants to jump to conclusions on Jimmy Garoppolo. The bottom line is, I don't care how old he is, he still doesn't have that many starts under his belt. And you could compare him to other quarterbacks around the league. And yes, he's a little older, he's been around, so you'd like him to be a little bit more advanced. But I just think that the sample size is still too small to really, really know what you have. And I, you know, I, I keep seeing people say, well, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo is a passenger on this team. He's not the guy that's leading them to all these wins. That's fine. Like as long as the passenger is not doing something that's that's you know forcing you to drive off the road, you're okay with that, right? Like how Kyle's going to play football. Like that he, even if he had Tom Brady, like they're going to play football how he wants to play. Absolutely. And I and I think when you look at Jimmy Garoppolo too, you know, one of the things that you're hearing the the the, the real optimists, the Jimmy Garoppolo, the biggest optimists with him are saying is look at what Matt Ryan did in his second year with Kyle Shanahan. Well, I think that's probably unfair and unrealistic to expect Jimmy Garoppolo to be the MVP of the league next year. However, I do think there's something that you could draw and you could say, if Jimmy Garoppolo did that thing that Matt Ryan did in his second year under Kyle Shanahan and Garoppolo does that, you would take it in a heartbeat and it's cutting down on the interceptions and it's cutting down on the bad turnovers. And if, and if you go back to, to Matt Ryan's first year with Kyle Shanahan, I believe he had 16 interceptions, 21 touchdowns and 16 interceptions. And the second year, he cut that number down to seven interceptions. Jimmy Garoppolo threw 13 interceptions this year in the regular season. If he cuts that down to six or seven and he keeps the touchdowns right around where they were this year, I think everyone would probably be pretty happy with that. And I'd be willing to bet if those were the numbers at the end of the year, the Niners were right there in the playoff mix again and making another run. Uh, oh, easily. Easily. So, and, but, and I don't, well, one thing to point, though, uh, uh, Nick, is that Matt Ryan had a bunch of snaps before – Kyle got there too, which Jimmy has sure. left. But 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 I hear you. I hear you. Well, and the other thing, but the other thing I will add is this: is do you know what the knock, the biggest knock on Matt Ryan was coming out of college? I forget. It was interceptions. That's he right. Threw a, he threw a lot of interceptions at Boston College, and so I just I think that there might be something to the idea that getting the snaps in that particular system, because let's face it, there's not a lot of risk in a lot of the throws that are being made there, and so the risk. The risky throws that are coming are just a lot of times bad decisions by Jimmy Garoppolo. And he'd be the first one to tell you that, I think. And so if he can find a way to cut down on those just by simply being in the system a little bit longer, continuing to convert on some of those easy throws that Kyle Shanahan schemes up for him, I think you're probably in a lot better position and you probably feel a lot better about what his future is with the team. 
Now I say all that and I will acknowledge Jimmy Garoppolo was a guy they could have restructured his contract if they wanted to this offseason. They could have done that, and it would have given them some more cap space to do some other things. They didn't do it, and they've left themselves an out with his contract. So I still think that as much as the Niners believe in him, and I do believe that they believe in him, I think that belief only goes so far, and I think they want to see more out of him next year. And Kyle Shanahan will be the first one to tell you that he wants to see that continued growth out of him. What do you think of Kyle in the late-game situations? Because it's it's – to be honest, he's one of the best coaches in the league for sure. However, he still has a hurdle to get over here. It, it felt like the Ravens game and um, one of the Seahawks losses and the Super Bowl all kind of felt similar in the fourth quarter with the game just slipping away and the 49ers either dialing wrong um, when they needed to be aggressive or it, like before the half, sometimes things feel a little bit off. Is is he able to kind of um, process this? Is there a way for the staff to like work together on this? It, it seems like there's a hurdle here for this football team to get over, and even even Kyle. And like, how does he respond to those tough questions? I'm not gonna lie; I don't listen to every press conference anymore. But you know, it, Kyle, I think is brilliant and has kept this whole thing together, and is why they are here in the Super Bowl. But like. Is is there something to tweak? Is it just a matter of experience? Is it a matter of we're watching the Jordan thing now? You know, LeBron went through it as well. He lost a bunch, and Kyle, you know, is it, it's going to click for him and and this team, and it's just going to take that. Or is there like is there an assistant coach to add to help them with late game strategy because Kyle is doing so much? I mean, first of all, the one thing you asked there about how he handles it. I mean, the one thing about Kyle Shanahan is you're going to get honesty, and and he's going to explain himself in a way. That makes sense. And you can take issue with what he says if you want. But I think a lot of the things personally, and maybe people don't want to hear me say this, but I agree with a lot of the things that that he did and said, especially toward the end of the halves, you know, the the Baltimore one in the Super Bowl. Also, when you know, talk about the end of the first half, well, why is he running the ball? That's given up. And it's like, you know, they're averaging nine yards a carry. If, he, if, if Raheem Mostert pops a run there and gets out to the 37-40, he actually did that in the Baltimore game and they ended up having a chance to score then you're not even talking about it. He's actually managed to milk the clock and get an explosive play out of it. So, and then, and then you turn around in the Super Bowl and you say, okay, well now he's, he needs to run the ball more in the second half. And it's kind of like people want it both ways a little bit in that regard. So I don't, I don't necessarily know that it's, it's, it's bad line of thinking. I, I think you can certainly take umbrage with the clock management. You'd say you'd like to see Jimmy throw the ball more at the end of the first half in, in the Super Bowl and, and, and things like that. But I also think that if you're in that position and you feel good about your position, you know you're going to get the ball back to start the second half. It's not the worst thing in the world to ensure that Patrick Mahomes doesn't get another touch before you get to halftime. So, uh, you know, that a lot yeah. of that is, is not necessarily second guessing because I know a lot of people are saying that in that particular moment. But I also think that when Kyle Shanahan kind of illuminates his reasoning behind that stuff, me personally, I haven't seen anything that I would call egregious, even if it's stuff that maybe I wouldn't have done or that I would disagree with. I wouldn't say it's anything that I would say, oh, he doesn't have a handle on how to do this. Totally. The, I, like if, <laughs> I don't know who they would have replaced him with. You know, like they're lucky to have him. And like you're hoping Kyle's in charge the next 10 to 15 to 20 seasons. He, he's here as long as, um, you know, any coach in the league. And I think that he will obviously get over this hump. Um, you know, I've, I've suggested assistant coach helping because – he's he's doing too much obviously he's calling the plays and he's got to be the head coach it's a lot of critical it's a lot of critical thinking all at once 
Um, but yeah, kudos to Kyle, John Lynch. They they really turned the ship around. Yeah, Nick, and I, from ESPN uh, with us, Nick. I, I I cut you off. What are you saying there? I was going to say I, I think one of the things that maybe isn't getting talked enough uh, uh, enough about this off season is the continuity that they have with their coaching staff. And, you know, especially in a year like this, that's going to be so unpredictable where you don't know exactly uh, what your offseason is going to look like, what training camp is going to look like and all that. Getting Robert Sala back, getting the two mics back and, and having Kyle and having your core group. I know there was a couple of changes. They lost Joe Woods. I don't want to I don't want to underrate that. And, and Chris Kiffin as well. But I, for the most part, they have almost all their coaches back. They have a lot of their roster back. This could be the year of all years. You know, people talk about continuity all the time. I think sometimes it's overrated. Sometimes it's a little underrated. This might be the time where it's actually perfectly rated because I think that's an advantage that Niners actually have that maybe a lot of teams aren't going to have, and it, it may, might give them a leg up in a season like this. Really good point. I don't know how Mike McDaniel is still on the staff. He's one of the smartest coaches in the league. They've really – Kyle's kept a, a smart crew together, and they're, they're developing some young minds. A um, couple things here about the division. One, the Rams last year, they had the Super Bowl hangover. Uh, I think I don't I don't I don't think the 49ers are in the same position, but they're just going to have a much tougher road this year because I think the Cardinals are actually a lot better. Dallas is on the schedule. They're going to be better. The Giants are on the schedule. They're going to be better. The Redskins are on the schedule. They're going to be better. The climb this year is not going to be easy. Where are these games played? Are they all going to be in Vegas, Arizona, high school field? Like it's the season will have a little bit of an asterisk next to it because it's going to be just an unknown. Um, but I'm. I'm thinking the competition is a little stiffer in the NFC this year. And, you know, I don't think it's full on Rams hangover effect. I think the 49ers are going to make the playoffs, but it's, it's going to be a lot more challenging this season. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, the, the NFC West is the toughest neighborhood in, in football, in my opinion. I don't, I don't know that it's particularly close. I mean, I know there's some other divisions, the, the NFC South people want to argue because of, because of Tampa's potential rise there. And I get that to some extent, but uh, I look at the NFC West and I just say, you know, if if last year they had had that seventh playoff team, the Rams would have been in. And that despite what we all would have said was a very disappointing season for them and, and the hangover that you refer to coming off the Super Bowl, uh, I still think that there's a good chance that the Rams will actually finish fourth in the division. But that doesn't mean I think they're going to be bad either. And so I think you're in a position where you're, you really are going to have to be ready uh, week in and week out this year, particularly when it comes to those division games, because I'm with you. I think Arizona, we saw the the trouble that they gave the 49ers twice last year. Kyler, Kyler is good. Kyler yeah. is very good. Their coaching staff is good. They're drafting well. Arizona could be a team that goes eight and eight this year, nine and seven. Yeah, I, and I mean a couple. And the thing is, you have to remember they're going to be playing a last place schedule, so they're going to have a, a little bit of the advantage that you know some some teams that have made big jumps had, where you're playing that. You know the those division matchups where you're facing the the opposite opposite NFC divisions. You're ten and six could win the division because they yeah. beat up on each other. Well, All I would yeah, I wouldn't be shocked if you saw three teams in that nine to eleven win range from the West, and the other one is seven to eight wins. I mean, I don't think that's outrageous to think that's how good the NFC West is. So yeah, who's a favorite? Who's a favorite in the NFC? Is it the Saints or the Niners? Who who would you say is a consensus? I haven't looked at the Vegas recent odds, but I has the Niners. I mean, the, the Niners seem I think the Niners are the, the the biggest favorite in the NFC right now, but I know that the Saints are right there. The Bucks obviously are getting a lot of love uh from Vegas. I'm sure from from betters. I don't um, believe that hype by the way. I don't yeah. I mean, I, I I need to see it as well. I, I I get the I get why people like them. I, I love their weapons. I, but 
I feel like Tampa's been that team everyone's talked about in that role for the last like five. How many free agency they get every year? Tampa's been a hot team for ten years. Yeah, I know, I know. So at some point, maybe <laughs> it's going to turn around, but who knows if it'll, if it'll be this year? I actually think Atlanta is the team. If you go back to the end of last year, and I don't believe that year to year carries over, so certainly they're going to have to kind of restart the climb again. But that's a team that was playing really, really well at the end of last season, and I think they have way too much talent to be as bad as their record was last year. So uh, I, I didn't love their draft, but I thought they did a couple things this offseason that could make them better. And, and, you know, the coaching staff changes they made toward the end of last year, I think that's another team you got to look out for. I think Dallas, everyone rightfully loves what they did in the draft. Uh, you know, the, the Dak Prescott thing is going to be hanging over their head, but that's a team that could be good. So, yeah, I don't think the NFC got any easier. And you know what's crazy, KJ? I was thinking about this the other day. It, you and I probably talked about this last summer at some point. We, how tough the NFC was last year, right? We all looked at the, all these teams yeah. are really talented, really good. And the Niners just cut through it like like a butter knife, like a hot knife through butter like in the playoffs. But but it really was so much matchup oriented. They were able to avoid the Saints, which I think we all thought would have been a great game. They were av- able to avoid the Seahawks, which we thought would have been a great game. So it's just – sometimes it's True. just their, – Their path was a little easier. And look at the Packers, man. They drafted Jordan Love because Aaron Rodgers – I don't think it beat the Niners. If their D line is on, he's not mobile enough. I feel like that that draft pick there was looking at the tape of that game and Aaron Rodgers being completely overwhelmed by the D line and them needing a mobile quarterback. So I'll know. take it a step further. I'll take it a step further on the Packers, KJ. And I don't I don't know if this I don't think this is a hot take necessarily. I think other people probably think this. I think the Packers did a lot of what they did last year with smoke and mirrors, and I think they know it. And I think that they 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 themselves believe they needed to start making moves so that they have a smooth transition because their window is starting to close with. Oh Aaron. yeah, I think you know Rogers be a drop off. I don't. How have they not trade him to the Patriots yet? It makes so much sense for him to go there or Cam Newton. Are the Patriots really going to go with Stidham as their quarterback? It seems that way. Yeah, and I mean they they haven't made any moves that would make you think they're going to go in a different direction. I thought maybe Andy Dalton when they when they didn't sign Andy Dalton, I said okay, they really are going to go with this guy. But, uh, you know, a lot of people think that they're going to try to be in the race, quote unquote, for Trevor Lawrence. I don't. I think Bill Belichick might be too good of a coach to even. Yeah, if you want to they're they're going to make the playoffs this year, or they're going to be right in the hunt. I don't. I you know Bill is that good of a coach. He's won with Matt Castle before. So, I mean, you know, that's – Jared Stidham, I know. It's an ultimate troll job if they come back and go deep in the playoffs and, and Brady kind of flames out. It's This is truly one of the most interesting seasons in NFL history, not only because of the pandemic and how the league adapts to it, but just Brady and Belichick for the first time in 20 years being separate. Like, that's truly going to be a storyline worth monitoring every week. No question. And, and I, I mean, it is fascinating. And you add the Gronk factor into the mix, too, in Tampa. I mean, that's – you can't go for more opposite coaches than Belichick to – I would thought Belichick traded Gronk to the to the um, uh, Buccaneers, but he was almost, he's almost trolling Brady, being like, sure, take your buddy. Like, seriously, take him. We don't need him. Because I well, if, if Belichick thought he was a valuable asset, he'd be like, no, 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 no. We're, we're holding on to him. So I, I think – in my opinion, Belichick thinks Gronk and Brady are both washed. I mean, he may, but I also think that that Gronk wasn't going to come back to play for anybody but with Brady. And so at True. that point, I actually was surprised that the Patriots got as much as they did for Gronk, as weird as that sounds, because he's a really good player, obviously, historically. But the fact that there was only one team Gronk was going to go play for, and they still managed to get a, a higher – like Yeah, they could have waited that thing out. Yeah, I guess they wanted draft capital that day. It makes sense. Um, 
good combo here. We're going to keep going. Um, Nick Wagner, ESPN.com. 49ers. Yeah. So, I mean, this is weird, Nick. Let's just, it's hard. I don't want to conjecture and just make false predictions, but let's just say the NFL season's in one location the whole year in Arizona or in Vegas. What are they going to do with the reporters? Are you, are you guys going to be on scene all year? I It would make sense, right? I, I honestly have no idea. I mean, that's, it's, it's, I, I hate to say that, but that's just like, there's so many things right now that I feel like I have no idea about. And I'm not afraid to say that. I, I think that's probably how most people should feel, right? Like, how do, how do any of us know how <laughs> it's going to play out? I mean, here's one thing I've had conversations with people in the league about, you know, how would, how would this look if everybody, if they play games at their home stadiums, but with no fans around, right? And what would that mean for media? And it's been floated to me that there could be, a limit on number of press that's there that press could be uh only limited to the the press that's in the local area so they wouldn't accept like travel like so if the Niners played in Seattle I would not be credentialed to cover the game in Seattle only the ESPN Seahawks reporter would be able to be there and same for then you just hop on a zoom conference and talk to the coaches I guess after the game but it's Right, right I mean I think those are I think those are things that are being bandied about and are all part of that and I'm sure the NFL the last of their worries is the media right now right um, but I, but I think those are all things. I mean, even even something I've had this conversation with someone with some people, uh, just colleagues of mine that have thrown out. Well, you know, if there's no fans at the game, what if they just put media, everyone in a luxury box by themselves? You know, so you're isolated uh, during the game. Is that something that would make sense? I mean, there's just so many different permutations to how that could work out. It's how many people would be allowed in the stadium, even if, if there's no fans or if there is fans, how, you know, is it 15,000 like the Dolphins? Oh, laid man. Out? Yeah. The, the ticket sellers for these teams. Now the jobs that they're going to lose the stadiums that are now being built, are they going to be smaller moving forward? Because we just can't have mass crowds like this anymore. I've seen beekeeper suits of, of fans having to wear those to um, unprecedented man on unreal times here. I, I will say this. The NFL did a great job with the NFL draft, really without a hiccup, which was absolutely shocking. And Goodell and his shtick, whatever it was, you know, it was what it was. I think they are going to figure this out. I think they are going to be the league that is able to string this together. And as long as there's no huge spike in the winter, kind of figure out football. They powered through free agency at the start of the virus and the draft, and they've. I think they're going to come up with a contingency plan to get this thing done. If it's not September, then October start. Yeah. I mean, look, the one thing we've, we've learned through this, like you just mentioned about the NFL, it's probably something we already knew, but they haven't necessarily had to flex that particular muscle is that the NFL is going to go on regardless. Like they are just a force that is going to go on. And, and yes, they are in the unique position and, and really the lucky position at this point where they haven't had to cancel or postpone any games yet. That's the the advantage that they have, of course. But I think when you look at the, the big picture, this is a league that is going to find a way to get something done. And they have the resources to do it. They have obviously have the deep pockets to do it. And so I think when you put all that together, you know, they're going to figure something out. And the hope is, of course, that there's not a second wave. And again, we don't know that. You have to be guided by the science and all that kind of stuff. But just based on what we know about the league and the way it operates, um, I would be surprised if there's not a season. Now, I have no idea what that looks like when it starts, any of that. But I'd be very surprised if there's not a season, uh, you know, sometime within the next, you know, six months to, to you know, some, somewhere in that range. Yeah. And if there's not, we're just going to have to swallow and suck it up because this, you know, um, the world is more important than one football season, too. So 
Nick Wagner, great discussion here on the Niners, big picture. We didn't even go deep and, and get to Robert Sala. There's, I think there's pressure on Richard Sherman this year. There's a lot going on in this team. be a lot more to cover throughout the summer. Um, appreciate you, bro. Um, any, any parting words here? I don't, I have, I have none other than, you know, I, I just, you know, we didn't get a chance to talk Joe Staley much. Um, oh yeah. yeah. Let's do I, that. I, yeah. And you know, I, I, I've, I made this point. I joined Chris and Kyle on the candlestick Chronicles and we talked about it a couple of days after it all happened. But um, I just, I just think that it's, it's important to, to make sure that we keep talking about him because this is a guy who's going to be, you know, we're still a ways away of course from his hall of fame candidacy being on the ballot. Um, but I, but I definitely think that he's a guy that we that shouldn't lose sight of him in the meantime. Because no, I definitely did. I I meant to kind of transition with him, but I thought it was kind of similar to last episode's content, guys. I did not mean to shove Joe Staley at the end of the pod. He he deserves a lot of props for what he did for this franchise. Yeah, and I, I think too, you know, the the other thing, and I've mentioned this elsewhere too. I wrote about this. I think that he leaves a legacy behind that is that is pretty cool, uh, just from a, a human standpoint of. You know, being that guy, I've I've said this before. You know that that the old statement, the old quote that you know, if if you enjoy your job, you never have to work a day in your life. And I think that was kind of Joe Staley embodied, right? Like that's that's who he was. And I think it's pretty cool that he was able to go out. You know, they didn't win the Super Bowl, but he at least went out on a winner. Uh, he went through some rough times where he almost retired because of that. And it's a shame that his body is is the reason that he has to retire because obviously he didn't want to do that but at least he's doing it in a year where he was able to enjoy and really kind of max it out. Yeah, and, and, you know, you don't want him to come back next year and get benched and like that whole scenario. So I think, I think the timing was perfect. He was named to the all decade team. Hall of Fame candidacy is definitely real. It's going to be tough to be first ballot Hall of Famer. However, you know, he's going to be mentioned for a while. Um, and he, he was a core piece. He made it to the mountaintop with, with Harbaugh and Kyle. So, I mean, he's, he's a pillar that they lost. So totally, um, you know, we're not talking about him like he's gone either. I'm sure he's going to be around the organization. So yeah, good point, man. We, we definitely needed to give him props. 74. Do they retire jerseys? How does that work? Well, you know, they have, but Jed York actually just within the last couple of years, I think it was a couple of years ago at the owners meetings, he was talking about this, that they have almost too many retired numbers now. And I think he kind of wants to, to wean off of that, maybe where they do something where they honor the number, you know, yeah. they have, on the, but it's not necessarily that it can't be worn again, something like that. But I have no doubt that they're going to honor him at some point. They've, they've made that very clear. It's just a matter of what that looks like. And obviously they want a big crowd to be there when that happens. So it may not even happen this year, maybe two years away, but either way, it's going to happen at some point. Yeah. If you have a wedding this year or you, you had some plans like that, you know, I feel for you, there's going to be no big crowds for quite a while. Um, Good stuff, man. Thanks for that parting note on Joe Staley. We'll, he, this won't be the last we talk of his his impact on the team. Oh, yeah, you mentioned his personality, and I, I mentioned it last pod, but I think Kyle Shanahan's culture was implemented faster because of someone like Joe Staley. He, he was able to be serious and fun at the same time like Kyle's able to be, and I, I truly think that he, he helped this football team grow in ways that we can't even um, measure. So. Right. Yeah, I agree with that real quick. And I just want to add this. I don't want to keep your, your listeners too long here, but I, I, I think that the point you're making there is important because, you know, Joe Staley himself said it in the Zoom call that he did with us, uh, you know, last week, where he talked about how when he first showed up in the league, people were calling him G.I. Joe because he was so serious all the time. And it wasn't until he realized that he needed to kind of relax and be himself 
that he really unlocked his potential and became the player that he that he did become. And I think there's other guys in that locker room who looked at him and saw that, and not the least of which is George Kittle, who I think maybe now like the the torchbearer now that Joe Staley. Oh yeah, yeah, he became himself because yeah. of Joe Staley. That's, I think how big was that for the football team? Absolutely. To your point, I think that that really unlocked that in other guys, and I think it allows those different guys to kind of be themselves, but also understand that when it's time to work, it's time to work. And, and that stuff, you can't quantify it. I don't have the analytics for that, but oh, I yeah, do think please write this article and like that. Yeah. I, I can't wait to read this from, from you because it's, it's so true. Like th- this is the part about football where it's to me, in my opinion, I follow it closer than the NBA because the 49ers almost won the Super Bowl last year out of nowhere because of this stuff in the locker room that Joe Staley contributed to it. The, the buy-in, when there's this many people and when you're on the same page, it, it truly matters. Um, Absolutely. Good shit. We will be having Nick back throughout the summer as we power through. Um, cool, man. Great stuff. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And uh, thanks to your, to your listeners for putting up with me. I always appreciate it. <laughs> you're kidding, man. You're like normal. I'm psycho. Um, all right. BetOnline.ag. Let's play Texas Hold'em. We're going to be doing some charity tournament. Be on the lookout for that. All right, Striking Gold listeners, BlueWirePods.com. Peace. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash blue wire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.